Welcome to Spawn, a common sense, generally fun, and hopefully helpful discussion on parenting and parenting culture and the many issues impacting families today. Hey, I'm Liz Gumbiner. I'm the co-founder of CoolMomPicks.com. Today, I'm going to be speaking with journalist and author Rena Raphael about what we get wrong, about the $4.4 billion wellness industry, inspired by her provocative new book, The Gospel of Wellness, Jim's gurus goop and the false promise of self-care this should be a good one and of course we'll close out our show with our cool picks of the week so let me just start by telling you about my amazing guest rena Raphael was a former high-powered senior producer and lifestyle editor at the today show in new york but now she's in la where she moved in support of finding more balance in her life She's a journalist and author specializing in health, wellness, and women's issues. In fact, she used to be the features contributor for Fast Company magazine, writing about just that. She's also contributed to the New York Times, LA Times, CBS, NBC News, and more. I'm sure you've seen her articles everywhere on your social feeds. She also publishes a great wellness industry newsletter called Well To Do with nearly 20,000 subscribers. But today we're going to be talking specifically about her fascinating and truly entertaining new book, The Gospel of Wellness, Gyms, Gurus, Goop, and the False Promise of Self-Care, which just came out. In the book, Rena blends traditional reporting, first-person narrative, and social critiques to investigate all the trends that make up the mega wellness industry that so many of us see as both our savior and our warden. She looks at the explosion of the industry, how it stems from legitimate complaints, how seductive marketing targets hopeful consumers, and why women in particular are opening up their wallets like never before. And in fact, she's calling on women of America to reject the magical cures being peddled by celebrities, influencers, and marketers. (laughs) I cannot wait to talk about this. Welcome, Rena. Thanks for having me. I am so glad you're here. This is such an interesting issue. The book is so funny and smart. So for our listeners, the first chapter is called Why the Hell is the Advice Always Yoga? (laughs) If that gives you a sense of the tone. (laughs) And it's not judgy. It's a lot of self-reflection. And I've been fascinated by the evolution of wellness and self-care and what we think constitutes self-care. We've talked about it here on the show, how it's evolved from manicure kits and bath salts to yoga classes and meditation apps, which I admit I do love. And then like jade balls, you put up your vagina or whatever. And (laughs) I'm just wondering how you define wellness and the industry, like what it is and how you see it's evolved over the years. Yeah. Last I checked the headlines, self-care is now also Botox or real estate. I mean, it's literally <laughs> real anything. Real estate as self-care. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a headline I saw recently. The term self-care has become as ambiguous as the term wellness, right? There is no definition, partially because it's so individualistic, but the industry, because there are no real guidelines, any anything can be this. They keep shoving more and more products and more activities underneath these umbrella terms. And that's kind of the issue. But yeah, the term self-care comes from real political and radical roots that were more about community and looking out for each other and how to help different groups who didn't have access to medical care and mm. real health care. And it's since devolved into something that's just hyper-consumerist, hyper-individualistic, and everywhere from Sephora to your local Walgreens is selling you some product that's about self-care. And I think we're kind Kind of at this point right now where a lot of women aren't really drinking the Kool-Aid as much anymore. You know, mm. my chapter is called Why the Hell is the Advice Always Yoga? Because, <laughs> um, 
You're not stressed out because you don't prioritize bubble baths or a yoga class. That's actually rather patronizing. We're stressed because we don't have adequate time off. We don't have maternity benefits. We don't have adequate childcare. There are real issues in this country. And instead, we're being told to almost silence and pacify ourselves with a bunch of products. Mm -hmm. Not to mention that a lot of women, especially moms, don't have time for all these things. I mean, like I have so many friends who say, gosh, I'd love to take a bubble bath every night like Gwyneth Paltrow recommends. (laughs) have the time for it. Like The problem is, is that it usually sets you up for self-blame because you think, oh, I'm so stressed. It's because I don't take care of myself enough. I, you know, I didn't prioritize meditation or all these things when it's really not your fault. It's because of, you know, the way our economy is set up, the way work-life balance is in this country, our culture. There's so many issues, but we're basically told to ignore the root issues and instead just treat the symptoms, which is hilarious because that's one of the number one reasons a lot of women turn to the wellness industries. They say things like, oh, doctors don't care about the root issues. But then they do the same exact thing. They replicate the same exact model with wellness. It's fascinating. And I feel partially complicit as someone who's written about wellness and self-care. And so I'm interested in the fact that you brought up women specifically. I mean, one of your substacks, which was great, is called the sexist side of wellness. Why does this seem to focus mostly on women? Do you think we're more susceptible or just more in need of solutions or something else? Yeah. Before I start that, I want to say that I'm just like you. Like I go on (laughs) Sephora shopping sprees, like part of the book is me saying like, I'm not immune to any of this. So I don't want to make it seem like I'm some higher than thou. I figured it all out. and I'm never tempted by a skincare mask. I am all the time. So this stuff works on me too. Yeah. And I always say like, look, if wearing a great mascara every day makes you feel good about yourself, do it. It's not a substitute for therapy, but you know, like I think it's okay to give ourselves little things that make us feel good. Yeah. And as for why I wrote this book specifically about women, number one, it's because they are the number one consumers and even the stakeholders within this industry and for real specific reasons. And that is that women are so stressed these days. Mm -hmm. You've got the double shift. Again, you have no childcare policies. Women are so incredibly stressed. They have pressures from Instagram, from Pinterest. So they're the most stressed out if you're to believe the surveys. But also the fact that a lot of women are really dissatisfied with the medical industry for numerous reasons. Either they feel like they're not getting the attention they want from their doctor, or sometimes they're mistreated or they're gaslit. But also there's not enough solutions for women's chronic conditions. And that's partially because women's conditions have been underfunded and under-researched. So that's part of the reason women are interested in wellness and looking for more solutions. Everything just feels out of control these days. Politics, tech dependence, lack of community, taking care of your kids and having a full-time job, Mm. lack of benefits. It's just piling up one on top of each other. But they're also targeted by this industry. I write in the book that I think 10 years ago, I used to be pitched by all these publicists and marketers who used to work for the fashion, beauty, and diet industries. And once wellness became kind of a lifestyle du jour, they all migrated over to the wellness industry. Now those same publicists and marketers are pitching me supplements. So what you're seeing is that this industry took the manipulative tactics from those industries and just applied it to wellness, Mm. which is why a lot of wellness is about how you look or it's infused with productivity pressures or is promising you that you won't age or that you're always going to be healthy, look perfect, whatever it is. So they are being targeted. And I just think in general, a lot of these industries are capitalizing on women's vulnerabilities and fears. 
again, really no different than the beauty industry. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. So what are some of the trends now? Because I'm seeing in my pitches like activated charcoal, Mm. everything is CBD, everything is cannabis, clean eating is coming up, intuitive eating is coming up all the time. Like, what are you seeing? What's real? What's not? And how do we distinguish? So- because wellness is now treated like fashion, because we've imported all these people who used to work for the fashion industry, you'll see that every six months there's a new trend. You know, I remember when I first started reporting on this industry, it was all about bone broth. Oh, I remember you know, the then bone it, broth. Yes, then it was yes. coconut water, then it was green juice, then it was kombucha, then it was functional elixirs, then it was, you know, CBD seltzer. It just keeps migrating over and over and over again. And I think sometimes if you sit back and go, wait, this is just fashion, then you sort of pause before getting in on the next trend. So yeah, I I will say that right now, activated charcoal has taken a beating primarily because there's no scientific evidence for it. And also, you know, people try this stuff and nothing happens. And so then they kind of ditch it and then they just put their hope in the next thing. Mm. So much of this industry is based on belief. You really think maybe this next thing is going to make me feel better. You know, and that's partially because we're a highly optimistic country. That's America. You know, we're the country that that built Hollywood, you know, the city of dreams. We ventured out West to secure our golden fortunes. What makes America so successful is because we're highly optimistic and take risks. But the flip side of optimism is gullibility. We fall for these things. So yeah, now it's all about CMOS, chlorophyll. There's all these new trends that pop up. And I assure you, they will go away in six months to a year. Uh Well, I'm fascinated that you use the term that it's kind of built on belief because just last week I watched the Netflix series Unwell, which takes on essential oils and tantric sex and bee sting therapy and water-only diets. I'm sure you've seen it. I finally watched it. That was one line that really stood out to me. For those of you who haven't seen it, it's really worth it. It gives kind of a good both sides perspective to help you come to your own conclusions. Although clearly there's a lot of skepticism, if not cynicism. And I'm just wondering, what's your perspective on that? Are there some of these things that do work for people and are valuable, even if they don't work for others? Like I kept thinking about the bee sting therapy. I can't specifically speak on beasting. I haven't researched that enough. <laughs> it's uh, really weird. <laughs> but I will say that certain treatments have scientific evidence or they have thousands of studies vouching for whether or not they work or not. I usually err on the side of science. Mm. There is a huge placebo effect sometimes. I think sometimes even buying something makes you feel like you've taken the first step towards doing something. You know, I feel this way myself too. Like I'll buy something and I think, oh, okay, I'm taking control of this issue that I'm having. And so I want to believe in it. It's the same way I really want to believe that like my Estee Lauder serum is getting rid of my wrinkles. I've invested time in it and energy. That's what sometimes happens with these treatments. Or oftentimes you'll have a condition, let's say a flu or a cold that is going to go away on its own the next few days. But at the same exact time you took, I don't know, some green juice. And so you think it's the green juice is doing when actually your cold was going to go away in a couple of days anyway, or maybe it wasn't going to be a full-blown sickness. Mm. So that's often Oftentimes what's happening with these alternative therapies. Correlation and causation. Totally. (laughs) Not the same thing. And actually, I'm guilty. I did buy like a turmeric something or other juice the other day because it was on sale. And then I read about that in your book and I was like, oh, yep, guilty. Uh Uh-huh. I remember once reading about how people who tend to like buy golf clubs because they're going to be a golfer this week and then they don't really use them. And then they like buy a language course because I'm going to learn Spanish and they don't use that. But they're often investing in the type of person they think they want to be as opposed to like the actual hobby. It's not necessarily about I want to play golf. It's I want to be a golfer, which is different. There seem to be like some similarities that we're buying products because we want to be the kind of person that 
fill in the blank. Yeah. A lot of this industry speaks to our aspirational selves. Mm. There's probably no better example of this than Goop, right? Mm. It's all about the lifestyle you're going to live. And people think that if they consume what Gwyneth consumes, they'll look like Gwyneth. When in actuality, a lot of that is just genetics. So yes, there is something to be said about the fact that we've made the pursuit of health something to aspire to. And in a weird way, we're almost fetishizing health instead of just naturally folding it into our lives. Uh. It sets you up for self-blame. If you get sick or if you don't have the body you want, or if you start aging, whatever it is, you think it's because you didn't do enough in the pursuit of health. When in reality, there are so many genetics, external forces, a whole bunch of things that may bar you from attaining this sort of salvation that you imagine. Let alone the finances. I mean, this is really strongly divided on socioeconomic lines, isn't it? Totally. I mean, there's no money to be made in telling someone to go for a walk, which is why (laughs) this industry is always telling you, need this gadget, this supplement to go on this diet, whatever it is, because that's how they make their money. I have yet to see a wellness influencer who isn't hawking some product, whether it's a detox guide or supplements, Mm. because otherwise they can't make a living. And it's kind of ironic because a lot of their messaging is about like, you shouldn't be dependent on the pharmaceutical industry. Don't be dependent on doctors, but then they're asking you to depend on them to buy their product. So let's talk about influencers and bloggers role in all this. And I will say, I feel like we worked really hard on cool mom picks over the past 15 plus years to really only work with people that we trust, that we respect. We turn down more sponsors than we take and we want to stand by anything we recommend. So we try really hard, but I understand that it can be hard for influencers who are trying to make a living, right? And I remember years back when I was blogging, getting embroiled in this little online blow up because I condemned a blog tour of the high fructose corn syrup trade association. So they basically went to mostly moms who were not particularly like they didn't really have science backgrounds. And they gave them interviews with people they thought were farmers and dietitians who told them it's just like sugar. It's fine. It's natural. Have all you want. And they weren't aware it was a high fructose corn syrup promotional tour through a lobbying organization. And I wrote a post about it and asked like what obligations we have as at the time bloggers, now influencers to like research what we're recommending or make sure we can stand behind it. And wow, it was more controversial than I would have thought. So how do influencers come into play? Like what's our obligation here? Or those of us who follow influencers in terms of using critical thinking to analyze what they're promoting? Yeah, we tend to trust influencers because we're familiar with them. You might see your doctor once or twice a year and you maybe get 15 minutes tops, but your influencer is always there ready to interact with you. You can even DM them. So we tend to trust the people we know more intimately, right? Mm -hmm. And they speak in our language and they make everything very aspirational and very beautiful. And we also think like, what's the harm? But a lot of these influencers don't know what they're talking about. And by the way, it's not just influencers. I see this type of stuff even within traditional media. Again, because wellness is being treated so much like fashion, It's not imperative on people to actually check with medical experts about what they're talking about. Mm. But yeah, the problem with depending on influencers who don't know about the topic that they're discussing is that they might convince you into a treatment or a product that stands in the place of a real therapeutic treatment that could help you. You might have a real medical condition, but because you believe XYZ on Instagram, you might buy her supplements when you could be getting real care. And that's kind of the danger. It's wasted money, wasted time, but also you might be in pain longer. 
So it sounds like you're saying people are often using quote unquote wellness solutions as a substitute for actual medical care as opposed to in addition? It's both. I've seen people who use it, you know, side by side. I see people who only depend on influencers. I think if you've had a bad experience with medicine, you might look to influencers where you'll find maybe more compassion, more attention. And also they're just more available. You know, if a diet guru wrote 20 years ago, some book on their new fad diet, it sat on your nightstand waiting for you Mm. for whenever you had 10 minutes to read. But now you can interact with these people nonstop. And so that's really, really appealing, especially to women who feel like they're not getting enough attention from their doctor. That is not me advocating for depending on an influencer. It's just to show that there are real issues within the medical industry that need to be addressed. Because Otherwise, we're going to continue bleeding people to the goops of the world. I think that's a really interesting point. Even over the past 15 years or so, peer experts have replaced expert experts in a lot of ways, sometimes for the better, honestly. I mean, listen, if I go on Instagram and I recommend a skincare or something I'm using, it's because I really do like it (laughs) and I stand behind it. I may not be making money or working with them. I just want to share something that I'm happy about. And I guess it's tough for us to kind of distinguish between somebody sharing because they are trustworthy and authentic and like legitimately want to let you know something that made them feel good versus somebody who's being compensated for it. Yeah. But also just because something works for you doesn't mean it's going to work for someone else. Yeah. And I think that's my point where that you want to back it up with scientific evidence versus just saying like, this made me feel good. So it's going to definitely work for you. That's not necessarily advocating for real treatment. So I think those are some of the issues that we're starting to see. And I am seeing a little bit of people not buying in on it anymore. And I think we're at the point where women just have a cabinet filled to the brim with supplements and tictures and creams that just don't work. And so mm. they're not necessarily taking that advice as much as they did a couple of years ago. That being said, I'm not against all of wellness. You know, my book is very nuanced. There's definitely times where influencers do suggest something like movement or eating a healthier diet, whatever it is that do work for people. The problem is, is that too many of these influencers are trying to sell you something. They have an investment into why they're giving you this advice. Yeah. But there are some things that work also. Like I will say, I started taking like a CB melatonin kind of thing. It really helped with my sleep. It's legit. I actually haven't really even written about it. I'm just saying it here for the first time. No, but totally. Like, who knows why or how, or if it's that particular brand or if it's placebo effect. I don't know, but it's helping me. And then I don't have to take Advil PM. So I'm all for it. Yeah. Again, you can find things that work for you. I think this is the danger of saying this will then work for someone else. And you don't want people to like not get cancer treatment because they can drink some like juice blend and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. So one of the things you just wrote about in your LA Times article, which I think is wonderful, and you've written about it in some of the Substack articles as well, is about the role of the new generation, Gen Z, in all of this and how they're changing things and potentially rejecting the wellness industry. As a mom of two Gen Z teens and I have two Gen Z stepkids, I am fascinated by this. And I'm really curious about your perspective, like what you've researched and why is Gen Z rejecting this and how are they different from millennials or Gen X? Well, without painting with too wide a brush, I don't want to say every single Gen <laughs> Zer, <laughs> but we are seeing a subset of Gen Zers who are almost rebelling against the perfectionist, productivity pressured mandates of wellness. The 
associate it with sort of the girl boss era where everything had to look and be perfect. Mm. And this is a generation that is very focused on mental health and authenticity. And so they kind of find it a little gross and they just don't think it's cool. I remember I once had a discussion with a Gen Zer where I said how much I love Beyonce. And she goes, oh, Beyonce, she's just trying so hard. Why does she always look perfect? And I remember being blown away. The beehive (laughs) cannot come after us about that. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, look, I have a Gen Zer who bought charcoal toothpaste, but at the same time will be like, oh, acne, whatever. I don't care. Like, it's fine. It's just a pimple. Like really different perspective on perfection. Yeah, definitely. And by the way, I don't want to make it sound like they dislike Beyonce, but I thought that was so (laughs) telling because I don't know anyone who would say that in my generation about Beyonce. You know, we all love Beyonce. Beyonce. I love Beyonce. (laughs) But, you know, they don't think that they have to work so hard on their health. They tell me things like, I can have an Oreo and I'm not going to drop dead from all these quote unquote toxic chemicals. Mm. Like your generation needs to calm down. (laughs) (laughs) And I spoke to some experts who say that they think that some of these Gen Zers were raised by practical Gen Xers Mm. who raise them with the kind of idea of like, don't buy in on all the corporate marketing. Think for yourself. And a little bit more of that sort of grunge era versus yeah, sort of- the media cynics. Yeah. So that's what we're seeing a little bit with Gen Z. And you're seeing these new, for example, snack companies that are advertising to Gen Z and they'll use marketing like, we're not about health. We're just about having a tasty snack. We're just a tasty potato chip, which is very different than those of us who maybe are- millennials, older millennials who go to Whole Foods and it's just screeching labels about all the things you're going to get out of a stupid can of, I don't know, green juice. Yeah, look, liquid death water, like canned water, right? They kind of like the idea of messing with themselves. And I've always wondered if that was just kind of like a rebellion type thing, or maybe to your point that they're just, were raised by some of us Gen Z media cynics, and it's a little different. You know, it's funny, also, my daughter and I always joke, oh God, I hope I don't get like flamed for this. You know, when my kids were little, we used to talk about, quote, the Park Slope moms. Nothing against Park Slope. Some of my best friends are Park Slope moms. But the idea was that they were only feeding their kid organic. They were sanctimonious. They would only shop at the food co-op. They would shame you for not giving your kid homemade pureed baby food. And then my daughter was saying those kids have all grown up to be like vaping teens. Sorry, that's awful, I guess. But you know, that to me is one of the most striking differences between millennials and Gen Z kids, or maybe that's just youth. No, I think it's also that it's just the pendulum always swings the other way. My generation, I'm 40. We grew up on fruit roll-ups and tricks and like Kraft mac and cheese. And then when we grew up, we were like, uh, we just ate a ton of trash. That's what we would say. I don't think that <laughs> food is trash at all. I don't mean that, but that's what we would say. And then we wanted to give our kids the healthiest food. And then that generation grows up and says like, oh, I'm exhausted by this. Why do I have to be fearful of everything that I eat? And so then they just want to go and vape and have an Oreo. So I think this is always going to happen. You know, the shoemaker son goes shoeless. It's always like Mm. this. So since our audience is primarily parents and mostly mothers, what do you think we can do ourselves to set a good example to be more mindful and savvy consumers and to help teach our kids how to do that? I think the first thing is to just remember that wellness isn't one size fits all. Just because something works for one person doesn't mean it'll work for you. So just knowing that going in when you try anything new, also checking your biases. There's a lot of stuff we want to believe in because, you know, it's quote unquote natural or it appeals to our cultural, religious beliefs. I think as soon as you start realizing your biases, the more you can recognize when you fall for something. And then I'd say one of the most important things is be aware of emotionally manipulative language. 
knowledge. If a product or an influencer says something will definitely make you better or it's going to boost or excel or do something, just understand that that's a lot of marketing speak. And a lot of my book is sort of decoding the marketing so that you understand when you're being sold something that's essentially just hope in a bottle. And then very, very lastly, demand evidence. If someone is saying something will cure you of XYZ, they need to back it up. Where is the science? And you have to be aware also of science washing. There are a lot of influencers and a lot of brands that will manipulate scientific studies or use scientific sounding language. Mm. And that is something else that you have to learn more about. Obviously, I can't go into all of it here, but that is happening a ton and ton and ton now. So there are ways that we can arm ourselves, but we need to understand that we need critical thinking skills and we need to understand what the marketing industry is doing. That's fantastic. And I just like to say there is so much more to this book. We are just scratching the surface. Rena, it's really incredible. And I hope everyone picks it up. It's called The Gospel of Wellness, Jim's Guru's Goop and the False Premise of Self-Care by Rena Raphael. You can find it everywhere books are sold. Support your local indie bookstore. We always love that. Or you probably get it from your library, but um, buy it because it helps support her and then she can get the word out more. So tell us, where can people sign up for your newsletter, Well To Do? It's welltodo.substack.com. Amazing. And where on the socials are you? Do you prefer Twitter? Are you on Instagram? Do you stay away? <laughs> <laughs> I should stay away from Twitter. That should really be my self-care. Uh, I'm at Reins. That's three R's, I-N-S. And yeah, I love following this industry. And again, there's some stuff that really, really helps women, but there's some other stuff that we just really need to be aware of. That's fantastic. I'm so grateful for your time. And you're going to stick around a little bit more because now it's time for... Cool Picks of the Week! Cool Picks of the Week! And Rena, as our guest, you get to go first. Uh, I have two. (laughs) We love that. More picks, more picks. Um, I'm a really big fan of J. Crew pajama sets. Ah. It's the only thing in my wardrobe that's put together and that I don't have to think about. I usually am like a mess when I wake up in the morning. I don't put together outfits, but there's something about before I go to sleep, everything is orderly. I put in a pajama set, you know, again, going back to belief, like it makes me feel like I'm in control. Like I'm all dressed well. <laughs> but you know, if it makes you feel good, that's okay. Yeah. Like, that's okay. Uh, that's like sort of my consumerist pick. I love you it. Know, J. Crew has sales all the time. I don't know how they're still in business because oftentimes <laughs> they're like, it's 80% off. So I wait for those sales and those pajamas are probably one of the softest, most comfortable. I've tested a whole bunch of brands, including higher priced ones. And they last for like 10 years. I've been wearing my J. Crew pajamas for like 12, 13 years now. So. Oh, that's a great pick. I know Kristen shares a lot of J. Crew items that she loves on our Instagram feed. So we're already there all the time. So now one more add to basket. And what's your other cool pick? It's another book. I know I should be promoting my own, but <laughs> um, it's called Normal Family by Krista Bilton. And it's about how she discovered later in life that she had dozens and dozens of half siblings. Her father was a sperm donor and what that did to her life. And it's fascinating. I read it within a few hours. Everyone I've given the book to reads it within a day. It's just so interesting. It looks fascinating. I have read about this. I actually have a friend who has kids from a sperm donor and discovered her kids half siblings and they're all like family now. It's like a wild story. So I'm so fascinated by this whole subject. Yeah, it's called Normal Family by Krista Bilton and the book gets really, really wild. I don't want to give anything away, (laughs) but you'll be fascinated by it. And it really does 
make you think about what is family? How can families be built? What does it mean to be connected to someone? Is it based on genetics or not? It really does make you think about what the modern family is and what it will be moving forward. You know, that is such a perfect segue to my pick, which has so many of the same themes. So I tend to read and recommend women authors most of all, but I am almost done with Mikkel Jolette's memoir, Hollywood Park. Have you read it? No. It is astounding. A lot of people know him from his band, Airborne Toxic Event. I know him because we're mutuals on Twitter and we talk about politics together, but he wrote the most lyrical, raw, incredible memoir about overcoming dysfunction, starting with his early childhood, raised in a cult in California, leaving when he was five, his truly, I guess, dysfunctional is the best word, family, how you survive that, how you come out ahead, how music kind of saved him. It's just so good. It's so good. It's like you cannot put it down from the second you open it. And it covers a lot of the same themes about, you know, what makes a family and how do we become who we are and how do we overcome our circumstances and how we're lucky to have some capable adults in our lives, if not others. And it's lovely. I highly recommend. And by the way, the way we do cool picks of the week here every week, we also do a newsletter every week. So you can sign up at coolmompicks.com slash subscribe and you'll get a newsletter once a week that gives you some cool picks that you won't hear here and you won't even see on our site. Well, that's it. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Spawned. Huge thanks to our fabulous guest, Rena Raphael, and of course, to our amazing engineer, John Bowen. If you've got a minute and you can leave us a five-star review, we would greatly appreciate it by doing that. And also by subscribing, it really helps other listeners like you find us. You can also join us in our Spawned podcast community on Facebook, although I tend to be a little more on Instagram or on Twitter at CoolMomPix or at Mom101. And I'd love to talk to you about the episode here or anything else you'd like to talk about. Thank you so much for listening to Spawned. This is Liz and have a great day.